Hey everyone, welcome to Unlikely to Apologize. I'm one of your hosts, Nikki. And I'm Heather. Hello. Hello. You leave tomorrow. Are you just... Well, for those who are listening, I did fit us in one suitcase. <laughs> got on the scale. Yeah, we talked about that this week. So we're recording the week before this airs. So that's yeah. why I'm all... Okay, yes. But last week so, for you will have been... Yeah. Yes, we had the big debate about the suitcase. Right. So then I got on the scale today, weighed myself, and then lugged the thing up in my arms. And I'm exactly 50 pounds. <laughs> But I did it oh with no God. casualties. I didn't I have wish... to sacrifice things. I know, but I wish that you had like storied for us. You I know, I'm so to... bad. I'm so I Actually, I didn't have to like try. Like I was able to neatly fold everything. Like, everything and then John got home and like questioned what I packed for him. And then I was like getting mad. I was like, I have this such neatly packed. He's like, I know, but I don't trust you. Well, did you remember underwear? Yes. I remember his underwear. Oh, he asked me. I remembered socks. Yes, well, he like jeans, t-shirts. Yeah, I had it all. So, but I did it. It's all there. And then our carry-on just has like little things. We are bringing something home for Aubrey, our niece. Um, so that has that in there for her. Um, yeah, so I did it. <laughs> I don't know how, but I managed. I'm so proud that. of you. You know, I always wonder when I'm when I'm like, yes, I fit it. My thought then goes to, am I going to be able to get this to come home? So I'm, I'm usually pretty good with that. Um, I can repack myself sometimes better than how I actually packed or I just don't give a shit and I just take everything, shove it in there, sit on the the suitcase and then close it. Well, see, that's what I do. So I don't fold the dirty clothes because whenever we go anywhere, we just throw all of our dirty clothes in a pile. And then like, I'm like, it doesn't fit like in this panic. So actually now when we go anywhere, Shane has to pack the dirty clothes. So we'll always put the dirty clothes in a separate bag. So I I use like a, like a garbage bag or something. We put the dirty clothes in. Okay. Yeah, no. So I'll put all of our clean clothes that we hadn't worn in one bag. And then Shane has to, cause he'll, he'll sit there and fold all. I'm like, I'm not touching your dirty, sweaty underwear. And he's like, (laughs) I'm touching yours. And I'm like, more power to you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I put everything in a garbage bag, throw it in there. So when I get home, I can just take the garbage bag out. And then I leave the luggage for about a week or so until I unpack the clean stuff because that's, oh my God, that's like, I think Vegas, I think it was like an ongoing joke between all of us girls, because I think my suitcase stayed in my room in the same place for like two weeks before I did anything with it. Mm -mm. Yeah. I unpack as soon as I get home. It doesn't matter what time it is. And if if not that night, if not that night, then first thing in the morning. Nope. Mm-mm. Don't want to touch it. Don't want to see it. Don't want to look at it. I'm over it. Oh, I'm not that way. <laughs> Shane doesn't care either. He'll just get dressed out of the suitcase. And That's Shane actually won't ever unpack. It'll sit where it is until I unpack his stuff. And then I put the suitcase away. Oh, no. See, John will unpack his own and do that. I will live out of that suitcase until there's nothing left in it. Yeah, that's how Shane is. Or until I get sick of looking at it <laughs> in the middle of my bedroom floor. So... Anyway, this week's episode <coughs> has me. many trigger warnings. I don't yes, know we- how to like, without giving it away, how we trigger warn this, but it is so, massively trigger warned. It is. A, yes, it is. And just for, I guess the best way to put it is anybody who has suffered from domestic abuse or sexual abuse, um, 
this is mainly for you in that sense, because there is the woman that we do speak to this week is a sexual abuse survivor, uh, trafficking survivor. Um, so there are going to be parts of her story that are going to be a kind of very, not kind of. Very yeah, I was going to say, listen. it's not kind of, it's yeah. very hard. It's to... very hard to listen to. Um, so we cannot set forth a warning more so than we are doing right now. So if you are uncomfortable with this topic, um, we understand, it. we don't expect you to listen to it, but I want to be perfectly clear that this, there are triggered, there are scenarios in which she discusses that can be triggering that are hard to listen to and um like unbelievable in a sense as well so right just so we all know but let's talk about our beautiful beautiful guest Brittany oh she's you know listening to her relive the most horrific time of her life I mean I think we all cried mm-hmm but yep. she, she, and she still deals with obviously the aftermath of what she went through. Um, but the way she speaks about her abuser is, is in a way that I would, wouldn't have, like, if it were me, I feel like I would be more hateful towards him. Right. And I think you and I spoke about this after we, we spoke with her that she's, she doesn't speak about him in a way that I feel like I would. Right. I don't want, I don't want to give it away. So I don't like, I don't know how to. Right. She, she respectfully tells the story as when it comes to his part. Right. Right. I mean, she did have some notions in, in the, in her story where she does kind of, you could, you could hear her get upset or want to be more mean, but she did hold, you know, a regard for, for him. Um, I feel like she handled it very gracefully is the only, is really the only descriptive word I can use is she, she, she handled it very gracefully. She did, you know, cause like you said, I don't know if I would be able to talk about it without being, you know, Patty mouth Nikki over here. Oh, me as well. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Um, But she's, as you guys listen, you will see too, one of the, the great things about the outcome of the story. And I don't, I, I don't want to use positive notations about her story, but what she's doing now in her life and how she's helping young girls, young kids um, who, who may or may not have dealt with or been in positions to understand and recognize, um, you know, what could be a, an abuser or a predator. And then she's also doing a lot of research on, um, forgive me for not having the correct term. She does research. She's a nurse. She's doing nurse researching on the biological DNA and how trauma um, can influence, you know, you at children growing up, even if they were never susceptible to the, or they were never put in the position of the trauma, but they may have, you know, been a part of it at a very young age, how it like lives in their DNA. Yeah. I find that to be very, very interesting. And I would love in the future to see what she does with that and just to learn about things that she might study. But I would you're definitely, right. yeah, no, I would it's definitely cool. love to see her in the future. Um, but I feel like we have a, we kind of have a trend with, with women and, and what they've gone through and them taking some of the most horrific parts of their lives and trying to find a way to do good with it. Right. And I just feel like for some of them, 
you're like, oh, I applaud you. But for somebody who survived what she survived, I feel like she deserves a million applauses for right, what she's right. trying to do to move mm-hmm. forward with what she went through. And I, again, I'm, I'm trying to be as vague as I possibly can, because we do want to be respectful of her telling her story um, because this one is one that only she can tell, but also with the trigger warnings and all of that stuff, I, I'm trying to skate around saying I know, I know anything that she went through because I feel like she's the only person that can tell this story. I agree. I think that's very well put. Um, considering what she went through, she's she was she was it was it was a great. I think what I want to say, and I'm going to just put this out there this morning, I received a text from her because she was able to preview and she was very thankful. And again, a lot of the women that we interview on don't necessarily realize how healing it can be to tell their story. And one of the feedback parts of her feedback to to me to share with you was there were parts of the story where she was listening to herself talk and she actually forgot about those things. Like these were things that she constantly remembered in her day to day. But ever since she talked with us, she no longer goes back to that place. So she explained it to be cathartic and she was very happy um, that she did it. And I'm very happy we asked her. I'm very happy she said yes. And I'm I'm so happy to be a part of another woman's healing journey and yeah. giving them the opportunity. I don't think that, and I'm like, you're telling this. And like, when I read the text message that you sent, I know I read it to Shane, um, but hearing you like say it like full body chills, I feel the tears coming. Um, but there's something that you and I, I don't think realized the impact that we would have by giving a platform to people who otherwise wouldn't have had it. Mm-hmm. And I know that we've talked about like when we were like, we're going to start a podcast and it was going to be something completely different. I feel like than what it's turned into. And obviously you and I still have our, you know, two a month episodes where we, you know, kind of share randomness from our own lives, but there's something for me, like healing and me being able to have this and hear these women just say like, I would never have been able to do this without you, or it was cathartic. Um, it was healing and it just, there's just something, and I, I can't find the words, like I'm speechless, um, about how I truly felt when I read Brittany's words, um, Mm -hmm. to you. And I don't think there that I'll ever forget, even if this podcast goes nowhere or we decide, you know, it's not going to, or nobody, you know, whatever the women that we've had on up to this point, I just, I feel very grateful that they chose us right? and that they allowed us to be the carrier for their story. Right. I agree with that. And I, I do have to say one thing that I, always makes me smile when I think about this. Our goal was even if we just help one woman, right. Yeah. And we're on episode, this is going to be episode 37. So we're close to probably about 20 different women. So as far as I'm concerned, we, we hit the goal that we wanted to. And well, it is, we, we didn't ever really set like what our goal was. I right. Guess, but, was, it, but the goal was, even if we just help one woman one and woman. we've kind of exceeded that. And that makes, that makes my little black heart happy. So <laughs> I know I don't celebrate things, but I do think about that. It's, it's the reason we all, you and I mostly wanted to do this was we wanted other women to have 
you know, the place or to hear other women go through things and not be alone. And I think it's almost turned into a mission for us at this point. Like, yeah, give it but I also, I also think that we didn't realize for the women that we have as our guests, the impact it that it would have, right? Because we are very much like, um, you're not alone. You know, anything you've been through, somebody has been through something similar. And it's a very much like find find similar stories so that you can relate. But I think in in that mission, we failed to realize the impact that it was going to have on the women speaking and the women discussing and sharing their stories. Right. And how every one of them has has come back and said something very simple, excuse me, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. So I just feel like that's that's something that we didn't anticipate either. Yeah, not at all, honestly. It was just telling stories at once and wanting to meet people, <laughs> right? So, but yeah, so I guess we can wind down and let everybody to it. Just so another warning, it is a very long episode. Uh, we did go back and forth on whether or not we were going to make it a two-parter, but I think it's kind of important to keep it as one. Um, so if you need to take your time, pause, whatever, please listen to the whole thing because there is a lot in there. Um, as always, if you like us, please, 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 please rate us on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, you can find us on Instagram at hello. Oops, sorry. That's <laughs> <our email. laughs> I'm getting better at it. Um, you can reach us on Instagram at unlikely to apologize podcast. Um, you can also, uh, send us private messages on our own. My, uh, Instagram handle is Nikki underscore camps. I am Heather Lynn Flores. And you can always send us an email at hello at unlikely to apologize.com. Um, and as always, as we are winding down the year, we're trying to kind of get our schedule situated. If you know anybody that has a story they want to share, or anybody that just wants to join in on a conversation with us randomly one day, um, feel free to send them our way or let us know who they are, put us in contact with them because we love talking to all of you. And I guess with that, we'll let you to it. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye everyone. Bye. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. I know. Hello. I'm so excited to meet you. I know. It's good to meet you too. Y'all are both so pretty. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so sweet. You're so cool. Thank you. So are you. I think you're the first to make us blush. <laughs> I, I love it. Thank you. Um, you are as well. Well, yes. Thank you. You've always been, always been. Oh, stop. Oh gosh. I did not, <laughs> I did not say that so I could get a compliment back, but no, I not thank at you. all. Um, so why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> who know? are you? Tell us yeah. who you are, Brittany. Um, okay. Hi, I'm Brittany. As you know, um, I am 35 years old. I live in Connecticut. I work as a nurse. I actually work in the, uh, pediatric and adolescent population for uh, psych and mental health. So um, I have worked in inpatient units at the hospital, um, psychiatric units for both pediatric patients and then also adolescent patients, a couple different hospitals here in Connecticut. And I now work actually in a group home for adolescents going through um, drug substance abuse treatment. So I'm the nurse in their house where they live and I am the director of all the nursing there at that house. So that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I love that though. I love the kids. (laughs) 
Uh, that's going to be incredible. Tough. Yeah. I was going to say, Look, I just want to take a second to acknowledge what you're doing. Thank you. It's, is incredible. Thank you. I think that's, I love it. wow. Most days I love it. Right. <laughs> Got to be tough too. dealing. You know, I have like family members that have been through rehab in different stages of their lives and it's just not, um, it's not easy or no, it's to not. witness or watch. So, well, but I feel like adolescence makes it even harder because that's, that's just a tough age group in general. Yes. yes. And then you add in mm-hmm. the other factors of it. And that's, that's gotta be a lot. Yeah. The house right now is, um, a little tense, shall I say, you know, personalities don't mesh right some kids are still withdrawing so they're not very happy some are going through tough you know emotionally tough therapy sessions or family therapy and don't have their drug of choice to cope so you know it's it can get a little rough for them but you know I'm I do the best I can to just get them through you know safely and get them through you know emotionally the best they can through that minute or hour or evening and you know, just the biggest thing is I want them to know, like, we're here for them and right. we got your back and it's a long-term program. So they stay with us for months. So like, we know them, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's why I do it. Yeah. That's so. yeah. It's good that they have like a long-term program. I think one of the biggest things with those types of situations is, you know, you get help and then you're kind of sent on your way. Right. So yeah. having yeah. that continuous uh, support, I believe I would think or hope that will help uh, benefit people's healing processes. It does. Yeah. So not to dive right in, but <laughs> I was just going to ask, I, know I was going to ask the same question you're about oh, to ask. I know we're getting, we're getting better at this. Um, so <laughs> what made you want to get into this line of work? So specifically what I, my passion is with my nursing, I'm in grad school, <clears throat> um, excuse me. And my, um, interest with, I'm going for research for nursing research. So I'm not going to do like the nurse practitioner or anything like that. I'm going to be on the research side. And my interest is studying the effects of trauma on children who've been abused. Um, so like the biophysiological, you know, in terms of how the body reacts to trauma and the long lasting effects. Um, and then the socio-behavioral effects, which that would include, you know, in the case of my clients now the substance abuse. Um, my very specific interest is utilizing animal assisted therapy, specifically dogs for children who go to, um, who disclose abuse and have to go into the police station or the ER and have the forensic exams done and the forensic interviews done. And then, um, down the line, if they go to court and the kids testify in court, having the dogs with the kids in the court, um, and studying how that helps not only obviously in the moment, but how that will help with them launching into their recovery at that point. So it's less re traumatization at that point versus, you know, you have the comfort of the dog and you, um, you know, you're not re-traumatized being in that situation again. The idea of dogs, like I this, per- I believe in the fact that we don't deserve dogs, and the idea and seeing them. Whenever I see them in therapy, and co- I've, like as I follow different therapy dogs and rescues, and one of the things that I love 
with dog therapy is what you're doing. And also like in like hospice and uh, elderly yes. care, like, like I love when they get to take care of puppies or, you know, just giving them a, you know, a, uh, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for a purpose again. Right. Yes. Yeah. But yes, we don't deserve dogs. And yeah. I'm jealous of that aspect of your job that you get to work with them every day. <laughs> or well, well, yeah, I love it. Um, the whole, the, what brought me, so when I be, first became a nurse, I worked ICU and with adults, I worked neuro ICU, give me the head traumas, give me the strokes, like all that stuff. Um, in the meantime, I was going through a lot of my own trauma therapy for stuff that I have gone through throughout my life. Um, and I kind of found my calling in that, yes, I love being a, a critical care nurse and I love the adrenaline and I love life-saving procedures, but there are children who are hurting who aren't in the hospital are out there in, you know, the wild, as I like to call it out in public, um, who are hurting just as much and don't have, you know, the capabilities to get the support they need. Um, I was one of those children and I, um, I didn't have the help, um, mainly because I didn't know how to ask for it. Um, and so I am now 35 years old. I have been through more treatment in my life. I have been through more hospitalizations. I have had multiple suicide attempts. I had a raging eating disorder that almost killed me. Um, just trying to cope with everything that had happened to me. Um, and I do not want that for these babies that are out there now to, for 30 years later, for them to be in the spot that I'm in or that I was in. Um, so that's kind of where I, where I'm at. I, I just want to say that, and I don't know the details of what you've been through, but just knowing that you've come through abuse, eating disorder, you know, more abuse, and that you're trying to turn that into something where you can help other people takes a very special kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I just want to acknowledge like you being able to say this happened to me and I don't want somebody else to have this happen to them, or I want to be able to help them through it. It it's a tremendous thing for your healing that you've like the healing that you've done so far to yeah. be able to take your pain and help somebody else. So I just wanted to acknowledge that that's huge and it's beautiful. And I think I'm going to cry now because I mean, and I, and again, I don't even know your story yet and it's five minutes in and I'm I was like, like, five minutes in. <laughs> but I just, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So you mentioned, not that I want to, like, I'm like bracing myself for, I know. for this and I, and <laughs> for everybody that's listened, we've, we've talked about this before we gone. So we're kind of a little bit more privy to it, but, um, where do you kind of want to start? Because there's a couple of things that you mentioned there. There was the eating disorder. There was early on abuse. Did the eating disorder stem from the early on abuse as a coping mechanism? Because you did mention that. So let's kind of move, okay. let's move in the direction. Yeah, where do you want to start your story? Where do you want to start? I mean, I might as well start from the beginning because honestly, in all these years of, of in being in therapy and now what I study and study trauma, I, I, you just have to start at the beginning. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is going to be a long story. <laughs> Brace yourself. So as a child, I was subject to abuse. Um, I was molested. I was um, raped by an older 
friend who was a male. Um, he was a teenager. Um, I was also subject to a lot of bullying and um, a lot of expectations in the home that I couldn't necessarily meet. Um, and in because of that would be put down or punished or what have you. Um, looking back now, I wouldn't say that was a big deal um, or would have been a big deal had I not been going through everything else. Um, but it put a lot of like expect like hard expectations on myself. And pretty much at a very young age, I learned that I was flawed. Um, there was something wrong with me um, that I could never do anything right. Um, having gone through the sexual abuse, you know, I was dirty and I couldn't figure out why I was dirty. I just knew I was. So that had to be why everybody made fun of me at school. And that had to be why all my friends, you know, decided to just abandon me and not be my friend anymore. And, you know, to a fourth grader, that's traumatic. Um, going into high school, it was the same thing. I went from um, a small K through eight Catholic um, primary school, um, went to a high school that was small, but a lot, a lot of new people and also um, experienced a lot of like being shunned there and, um, and bullied there as well. So it just kind of continued from like this very young age, you're excited to like grow up and, oh my God, I'm going to high school. It's gonna be great. You know, this and that, and I go there and it's not at all. Did you, did you say fourth grade? I wrote that down with a question mark. So this all started, like this all started when you were that young. I was younger than that. Oof. I was not a person. I was not a child who thought I had any worth. That's, and yeah. that's a lot. And that grew and it festered because I couldn't really find anywhere growing up that so I, I think that was I was gonna ask you I not to cut you off because you're at such a young young age to feel that way. There was nobody, no like I not to compare, but like I look around and I'm trying to think about this. And I actually just, we talked about a book today in which I read where it involved daughters being abused um, by their own mother, but like not, how do you get into a place of just feeling like you have nowhere to turn or not finding it out? Obviously at six years old, that's understandable, but getting older, like you're getting into high school, right? when do you decide that, or when did it happen to you where you were just like, there's nobody here that can help me? I was, I, I was taught that showing negative emotions was weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got made fun of even, you know, my family's wonderful. I like none of them laid a hand on me. None of my family. Okay. So I just want to lay that out there right now. But when I would get upset for whatever reason, whether it's a stupid kid thing that I spilled the milk and I'm crying or whatever, or something legitimate, it was always like, you know, stop crying. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have a reason to cry. One of the biggest things was like, pick up your lip before you trip on it. Do you want some cheese to go with that wine? And so, and I know as an adult looking back, it was just teasing. Um, there were no, there's no malicious, malicious intent there. Um, 
Well, I think that's kind of how our generation was raised with that. that, I mean, I heard that kind of, you know what I mean? Like we all, anybody our age, I feel like has heard those same things. Yes. Stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. That was my dad's like favorite line. Yeah. 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 So I feel like that that's not a fault of of anybody. That's just the the, the generation of what we grew up in. That's just what we heard. Right. However, during all of this, I was dealing with behind the scenes, right? A lot of trauma. So when I would cry for whatever reason, as a little girl who cries, um, it wasn't, I was, I wasn't comforted because again, it was that whole kind of mindset back then. Um, if I was being, you know, told like, you know, if my grades weren't good enough, Um, and I, you know, I, I did my best. I did the best I could. And then it's like, well, your best isn't good enough. You can do better, you know, don't cry, go study. Um, so I just learned very, very young that whatever it is in me that I'm trying so hard to just like, you know, quiet, I learned to give people what they wanted. Um, I learned to fly under the radar and that's essentially where I've been for the last, 25, 30 years. Classic people pleaser type idea, which we've, again, I think with a lot of women we've talked about is one of the main themes is people pleasing. Even me, who's like, doesn't give a shit sometimes, (laughs) will also try to people please. It's like embedded in our brains as women. I I truly believe it's like in our like core DNA. Um, So I guess I have a question following that. So you had this kind of through grade school, middle school, into high school, I guess, what was the initial trigger and when did your eating disorder start? Like, where did you find that that was going to be your coping mechanism? I will never forget. And I'm not going to name the family member because if they end up listening to this, I don't want them to feel like they caused this. They did not. I was, it was essentially around freshman year. And I was always, I danced my entire life. That's actually where me and Nikki know each other from first, the first time around. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I was always very small, like even born. I was, my mom said I was always like the fifth percentile. So I was a small, petite, you know, skinny, thin, little thing, Um, very active in dance my whole life. So um, I never really worried about like food and calories. And of course I was too young at that point to know. Um, as I got older, I, you know, I got my period, you know, you start to gain weight a little bit more there. you got your boobs, you got your butt, all that stuff. Um, still didn't bother me because I was still like, yeah, I'm still pretty thin. Like it's okay. Um, and a family member made a comment about how you know, if you eat this much or eat, I don't remember how it was said, but based essentially that it's going to stay on you and you won't be able to take it off. So oh, wow. that, yeah. <laughs> I had a teacher in high school who was also a coach of mine who anytime saw me put chips or grab chips for lunch would tell me that my chips were going to my hips and I needed oh, to God. pay attention to it. Yeah. yeah. But you know, is that ever said to a guy? I'm just going to say that. No, no. Go to hips. So you'll hear me say that sometimes on meat and chips. I'm like, chips go to my hips. Like, I've heard you mumble that. Yeah. 
Um, um, yeah. yeah, but I took, I literally took that, that literally because I'm like, okay, well, obviously I'm not gaining weight from this now. So maybe five years down the road, all of this food is just going to like, I'm, my body's just going to explode. So mm-hmm. my eating disorder actually started with everything around me. I just was unhappy and miserable and out of control. And now all of a sudden I know that in five years, I'm going to gain 25 pounds from all the cereal every morning, you know, for breakfast or whatever, whatever it is. So I'm just going to stop eating. Um, and it, it did start as just to ward off those calories that are already on me. Um, but quickly became that coping mechanism that whenever I felt terrible, whenever somebody made me feel terrible, if I came home, you know, from school with less than an A, I would punish myself by not eating. Oh, wow. So very similarly with Tish, it was one of the things too, it was a controlling factor because you were able to, like, is that kind of where it was for her was the controlling of what she was putting in her body was the one thing that she did feel kind yeah. of all over. So is that kind of the same for you as well? Yeah. One thing that you had. Like I couldn't, over. I couldn't trust all these people around me because some would say, oh, you know, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then they'd like, like leave me and you know, you know how girls are in high school, whatever, but that was also my entire childhood. So it's like, if I can't trust a single human being to actually like with what they're saying to me right now, I am just going to trust myself and I am going to show that I'm okay by way of how I look. And it's such a simple, like, simple quotes. Well, I have dart, but it's not. I have a question as far as like eating disorder and and like physically, like, so if you, you were, pardon me if this is an ignorant question, No, of course not. but as a young girl, you were, you know, molested and raped. What I guess, as far as like the eating disorder with that, as a coping mechanism, was that with that, or was that something else? Were you trying to control how you looked because of how that made you feel as well? It was at that time, it was more, I was still feeling so disgusting from having men put things inside of me that whenever I didn't eat, I felt clean because there's nothing in me. (sighs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So then when I would eat, even if it was a salad or an apple or something like that, there's something in me now I'm gross again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My heart. I know. Sorry, I'm a little. Oh my goodness. I'll get a little ragey in a minute. It's just. Yeah. <sighs> well. That was kind of the start of the, the anorexia. Um, yeah. So I was going to ask, cause we mentioned, you, you know, we keep referring to eating disorder. So what, what ver- was it? It was obviously the anorexia you did just yeah. say, like what you're saying of just not putting food in your body. That's anorexia. So my question to you, and you mentioned it and I, from what I remember you in dance school, you were this tall, lengthy, skinny ballerina, you know, tiny yeah. ballerina, as I remember. So when did anybody around you realize that you weren't 
because because you were already so tiny, it kind of just looked like you were maintaining or did you essentially get to a point where you're like, okay, this is, this is bad. Right. was, Was there a turning point in that? So I started slowly restricting around freshman year. Like I said, sophomore got pretty bad. Um, I couldn't, uh, how do I want to say this? My, I couldn't like get out of family dinner. So my family growing up, my wonderful, like my two parents and my brother and I, we had dinner every night, you know, around the table, dad cooked, mom came home, we'd eat when mom got home. And that was, that was my entire growing up. Um, once I hit high school and I was, um, you know, doing more things after school, I had an after school job. Um, I was in the, the drama club. Um, I joined the dance team. I was doing my own, you know, studio at the ballet studio. It was a lot easier to skip, skip meals. Cause I would just say, oh yeah, I ate here. I ate there whatever it was. Um, I was getting so neurotic about it that anything I put in my mouth at that point in time was like, I had to account for. Um, so I would go home at night or even let's say on a weekend, you know, summer barbecue, you know, I'm out and it's like, yes, I'll have, you know, a cheeseburger or whatever. And I, it it had gotten to the point where it was like, I can't have this food in my body. It's in my body and I can't have it. So that's, I started to purge. Um, and that's not like bulimia because bulimia is the binging. So I was in my official diagnosis was anorexic purging type. Um, went into junior year and I was purging and I didn't want to be doing that. So I actually told a friend of mine in high school, um, what I was doing. And he's like, okay. He's like, I need to tell somebody. And I'm like, no, you don't. (laughs) Um, He ended up going to tell our Spanish teacher. Um, and so she pulled me aside and was like, you know, I went to the guidance counselor. So, you know, of course now everybody knows. And Mm -hmm. so the guidance counselor, I'll never forget it because it was junior year. I was actually going to Philadelphia that weekend to audition for a college out there because I went to dance I went to college for dance at first before I became a nurse um and my parents were bringing me out there and so the guidance counselor told me if you don't tell them over the weekend you know and come back fr- and come back on Monday and you haven't told them I'm calling them and telling them oh wow so I went the whole entire weekend in Philadelphia go through this like massive audition whatever and then Sunday night before like it's time to go to bed I my pulled my parents aside and was like um so this is what's up um and so that's how they found out about it at that point in time I had told them it was only going on for two weeks oh when it was like two and a half years oh, um, wow yeah so but technically the purging was only for you know a few weeks or months whatever so um so that's how it kind of came out public at that point um were your parents receptive in a positive way or was it like I know in some families where it's like we're going to ignore this problem because it's not really you know yeah no they being a a silly teen girl or did they take it seriously they took it seriously so I apparently the next day um which was that Monday I went back to school they had to call the um the uh, guidance counselor they called my pediatrician got me in like within days to see the pediatrician 
my weight was already down, which I knew already, but they didn't know. And they all kind of like, you know, hit the ceiling when they saw how low my weight had gotten. Um, so they hooked me up with a psychiatrist and they hooked me up with a nutritionist and did all the right things. Okay, right. Good. Yeah. So you did get the support that you needed that, that makes my heart happy. Yeah. I know. Cause it could have gone a completely it different direction. Yeah. It could have. Yeah. I, um, I didn't accept the support though. So oh. it still took many, many years, but it's okay. You know, I think as, as teenage girls with, I mean, granted, I didn't have the experience that you did, but ha- understanding that your family is just going to be there. I mean, not a lot of family, not a lot of people could say that when it comes to their family, but knowing, right. like I look right. back now and I think of things that I've done that was stupid and then like my parents getting mad, but I understand that they got mad for the right reasons. Right. And not, mm-hmm. because, like, I, not because I was like, not because they didn't care or love me. So yeah. that, that does make me happy that you were able. And honestly, the fact that you were even able to sit down with them and tell them you mentioned, you know, how you didn't feel like you were in a place to talk about these things. And you actually did, you know, maybe it was more so on a threat. (laughs) It was on the threat. It was straight out of fear. I kind of hope that that for you kind of opened a door to be able to express yourself with things that are coming later in your life, which I was, well, I wanted to ask, did the, did the sexual abuse come up in this? Right. Cause if you had, okay, you didn't, okay. You just left it was it strictly like I have, they didn't ask you why you were doing it or, or did they yeah. just kind of lied about it? They assumed it was because of the dance, okay. which is a common, it is a very right. thing in the dance yeah. industry. And um, I had recently changed dance schools. I think like the year or two years before that mm-hmm. from the one that we were at Nikki to okay. a more like professional, yeah. um, oh like my God. all ballet school. So <laughs> I just wanted not to go back into dancing, but I just remember Miss Liz and she just pitched the fuck out of us the whole time. Like, we yeah, well, yeah, but I ended up moving to like an actual like ballet academy, which is where I, you know, so they were like, well, is it because of dance? Is it this? And I'm like, no, it's oh, not, okay. but I'll let you think it is. Right. <laughs> like, that's what right. I mean, anything. So you essentially were given the tools to get help, but you weren't ready to accept the help. No, I was just like, no, I want to stay. I'm not getting fat. Like that was my thing. So that was going to be my next question. Like, here you are, you're getting all the tools, but like, did you think you had a problem other than that? You just admitted the purging. You didn't want to do that. Right. Problem. But as far as the, did you recognize that side of it? I, I think I knew logically that it was unhealthy, mm-hmm. but I was still under the impression that I have to get rid of all this extra calories that I've been eating all my life. And once I get to like, you know, 20 years old and I don't balloon up to 250 pounds, then I can stop this and be good. Like it was so distorted. Mm-hmm. It was so unbelievably distorted, but it I, quickly, uh, I became a slave to it. Like it was quick. Yeah. I, uh, this is going to sound so idiotic and like nothing in comparison, but just kind of how fragile the mind is at a young age. I had an uncle tell me that if I blew my nose, my like brains would fall out. And then for the longest time, I would not blow my nose. Like it's something that was like, I don't want to say, I mean, that's dumb in comparison, but like just that one thought as a young child, I would never do it. You will say things to kids that you don't realize, but some of them take it. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have that abstract thought. And that's another reason, like with my, with my research, it's like, 
those little babies don't have that abstract thought by little babies. I say like my five and six year olds, (laughs) but you know, like, so you tell them that they're going to blow their brains out of their nose. They're they're never going to blow their nose again in their lives. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. I think I was like late twenties and I blew my nose for the first time. I'm not even kidding. And I think think it was John telling me, like handing me a tissue and go, can you just do this, please? I will not marry you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I would just walk around the house like, like I would. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But again, something so little in comparison to what you, like what you explained, like lived with me. Yeah. I mean, it still matters. Yeah. It matters for you. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's. I don't know. It's, it's stupid in my sense. It's stupid, but it's just that, like you said, that abstract thinking like this obviously cannot happen, right? Like my brains aren't going to, you're not going to blow up five years from now from a cracker you ate. Yeah. Yeah. When you were five. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just the way that the child has certain parts of your mind. Like I'm, I'm a smart girl. You're a smart girl. Why in our (laughs) adult, like adolescents couldn't put like, Oh, this is not really happening. (laughs) This is not reality. (laughs) So well, okay. So you were given the tools, right? Now you've got a psychiatrist. Then how does your story kind of weave its way from there? Um, so I ended up going to college. Um, I felt, first of all, I hated my psychiatrist. She was like 80 years overdue from retiring. Um, and I would literally go and she, like, she demanded to be my therapist as well. So I would go and I'd sit here like this, me, little 16 year old, you know, whatever, not realizing at that point I had, there was no connection for me that the abuse and the bullying and all of that had anything to do with this. This was just, I don't want to get fat. That's all it was. So sitting in her office once a week was brutal because I would just sit there like, I don't know what to say to you. I'm just going to sit here. And she would just sit there and wait for me to talk. And then I wouldn't talk. So she'd be like, the birds are pretty out there today. And it was just like the worst, like. And that's like the most important part of this whole, you know, yeah. process, yes. especially with adolescents is finding somebody that they're, that, they can yeah. talk with. Yeah. Like you're, it's like sitting you down with your grandfather or grandmother and like, right. you're not going to tell them these things. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. And so the only thing I guess good that came out of it was like, she had put me on, you know, an antidepressant. I don't remember what it was at that point. Um, and whatever. So then I graduated high school, um, went to college. And again, like I was going to college for a dance degree. Um, the, the program that I was going to was actually pretty well-renowned in the area. Um, very, very excited. I'd always wanted to dance my entire life, like as a professional dancer. And so my, um, my doctor, my pediatrician here and my parents, um, got a hold of like the student health center up there and like had me like already like scheduled with the, the nurse practitioner up there and one of the like the counselors therapists um, all ready to go you know so that I'd have the support um, and that's kind of when all hell broke loose oh yes so, yeah. the part I think that we're 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 bracing ourselves for so just before we get into that I want to commend you and your family for taking those progressive steps, proactive mm-hmm. steps, excuse me, and making sure that you were set up, especially because you're going to be in a new environment, right? Yeah. Yes. And that's huge. With treatment, especially in any type of treatment or healing, like change of environment can be a big stressor in that process. So yeah. kudos to all of you for making sure that that 
yeah. that happened. So, and of course, my secret plan was, haha, the minute I'm at college and away from my parents making me dinner every night, <laughs> I'm not going to eat. Yeah. And still dance four hours a day, five days a week. But whatever. That's just, that didn't last long. But that's, yeah, that's, that's that teenage mentality, right? Yeah. To like fight the, fight the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. All right. So you get to college and, you know, how is it like, you know, you're in this program, you're doing something that you actually planned. Like, this is what you wanted mm-hmm. to do. Like, you have to take a step back and appreciate that moment too. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Something you wanted to do. You're there. You did it. Like I fucking did it. Yeah. But, so you're like, taking- I auditioned for this place and they wanted me like, holy right. cow. Like, yeah. That's huge. To give you yeah. a little bit of value. I hope you felt value in that moment. I did. Good. I did. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah so I started off um just loving it my roommate my dorm roommate was a dancer also in my program the two girls that lived next door to us were in the theater program so we all were you know those people (laughs) (laughs) um and it was a good time it was a good time we I still very much struggled with the eating only because at that point I was completely on my own, you know, like my, I didn't have to answer to people about how much I ate or write a food diary or like, you know, my father sitting in front of me and not let me get off off the table until I ate, you know, half this grilled cheese sandwich. Um, but other than that, like, no, it was good. Um, and then I met somebody who has forever changed my life. Um, my first, I met a guy and he was actually like my first real boyfriend. Um, I had, you know, a couple of crushes here and there in high school and the summer after high school, but nothing like really, um, you know, formal or whatever. And we met like in September, like pretty quickly after school started and hit it off right away. And he was great. Um, and it's important to note here that I'm a December baby. So when I went to college, I was still 17. Okay. So I couldn't get in anywhere, <clears throat> clubs or anything like that. My boyfriend, who was also a freshman, although he was a year older, um, looked to be about 25. That's just like how he looked. Um, so we always, like, he was always able to get me into places because he would show his ID first. And then, you know, I'd be right next to him and I would just like flash my college ID, which one was right. going to be 18. Right. So we were just having a lot of fun. Um, I actually ended up leaving school that first semester to come back home for treatment for the eating disorder because I, I truly did tank. Um, and and that was time, over Christmas break? No, this was still that fall semester. Oh, okay. So you left mid semester. Yeah. I didn't make it through the first semester. Um, this whole time he was absolutely, um, uh, um, what's the word supportive. Um, my school's only like two and a half hours away. It's just up in Massachusetts. So he'd come down and visit on the weekends. Um, I over to dancing at my home studio during that time, just to stay in shape. So he'd come see the performances. We had like a Dracula performance at Halloween. He came down and see the Nutcracker, all that. Um, just great guy. Um, went back to school that spring semester 
and everything was different. Um, he became very controlling. He became very uh, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. Um, there's one thing that sticks in my mind that I will never forget. We were at the dining hall and I was struggling with eating at that point. And I had a salad in front of me and the salad didn't have any dressing on it. And it was just vegetables, like no protein or anything like that. And I couldn't even do that. And he's looking at me and I just remember him saying, you are pathetic. Other times he would tell me that he had bigger ex or more expectations out of a girlfriend than somebody who can't eat rabbit food. Um, so it started with stuff like that. I have like a couple questions here. Cause I think one of the biggest things when we, when we talk about relationships, especially at a young age is that controlling factor. And it usually starts with what you're wearing, what you're eating, right? That's usually the, the two things him doing or saying these things to you, was he aware of what you have gone through oh yeah so he, yeah, he knew so, she left yeah. yeah so he knew which makes this more of an abusive personality because he's taking what mm -hmm. you are struggling with and using it against you I just want to make sure that we because that's one thing that I think I've learned over the years and I think about especially high school boyfriends mm -hmm. I had one high school boyfriend that was very much you only eat salads you do not dress this way mm -hmm. you don't I don't want to, I don't want to see you in a dress at the school dance. Like there was rules I had to like follow. I mean, the last like three months because I ain't having that chip, but right. it, was, <laughs> it was very much, those are those types of personalities. And for this situation, knowing what you went through makes it even more of a like control factor. Yeah. There's one yeah. thing to be an adolescent and just not understanding how to navigate relationships, but knowing what you went through is just to me, I'm like, I'm already ready to like kill somebody. <laughs> um, he definitely did the whole like grooming that whole first and semester. That's the word I was looking for, grooming. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then come when we came back that second, that in January, it was just, he was a different man and I had nowhere to go. Um, and I made excuses for him. Um, so... Okay. So yeah, he just very slowly became angry. Um, he very slowly became um, possessive over me. Like I remember there were nights that I wanted to hang out with my girlfriends in the dorm and it would be like a Friday night. And we're like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to order Papa John's and get pizza and have movie, you know, movie night. And he would just be like, well, why don't you just marry them then? Or why don't you just date them? And um, it, so it was just like, it was just like this ridiculous back and forth. And of course my friends were all like, Brittany, like this is what's happening. And I was like, you know, I, he's fine. He just loves me. He just wants to see me, but you know, I'm staying with you guys tonight. Like, I'm not going to go out, see him. Like he can throw his little fit, whatever. Um, and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where he became physically abusive. Um, I was going to ask, was there anything, again, not to compare whatever, but I remember two college, a uh, college boyfriend of mine was the same way. Anytime I did something with anybody else that wasn't him, it was a constant, what are you doing? Why aren't you hanging out with me? 
how long are you going to be there? Why don't you just stay there? It was kind of that whole thing as well. Was there anything in particular that you remember that was more triggering events than just hanging out with your friends? Because you were just about to go into it. So I'm sorry, I cut you off. But you said, no, 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 that's okay. You just started. But like, were there things that like, even though your friends were telling me, because I had friends that told me the same thing and I would, again, make up excuses. But was there any time where you're like, hmm, maybe they're right. Like he shouldn't have flipped out about that in that. Yeah. Act. You know, did anything like that ever happen with you? There's really only one thing that I can remember that I was, I was out like in the quad area um, and I was on the phone with somebody. I was on my cell phone. I don't remember who I was on the phone with. It doesn't matter at this point. And I saw him walking towards me, but like way from like the other side of the quad. I'm sitting on a bench. I'm on the phone, whatever. I see him walking towards me, continue my phone conversation. And as he's getting closer, I finished up my conversation, probably because it was like, oh, you know, he's coming down. Like, I got to go. And he laid into me why I was not answering his phone call because he was trying to phone in while I was already on the phone. And like the, the amount, like the intensity and the anger that he was portraying in that moment was like, dude, I saw you there. I acknowledged you. I knew you were there. You see me on the phone. Like I was going to talk to you. I'm not ignoring, you know? And it was just the most unbelievable thing I could have ever seen. But then again, in my mind of this is me, I'm a bad girlfriend. Like I'm going back to the, I'm flawed. You know, I should have hung up this phone and I should have answered it to him when we were eating dinner. Like I should have just put dressing on my salad and ate it so that he'd be happy, you know? And it just became that kind of just like cycle where, and my friends kept telling me like, Brittany, like he's not okay. And it's, and I, you know, of course make excuses, you know, there's not much I can like remember specifically now, but it was just like, I mean, it's the typical situation of the woman who gets, you know, hit and I walked into a door, right? Like you, you constantly make excuses for the things that are going on around you because you have a hard time facing what's going around you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a variation of a coping mechanism without it actually being a coping mechanism. If that yeah. Yeah. And yeah, looking back now, I can see just how much into it I was. And I, I do know, and you know, so many people throughout the years have told me not to blame myself, but I do know also that this was the first boyfriend I had. This is the first boy that ever told me he loved me like maybe I'm just not doing it right maybe this you know so there's there's a lot of things in that statement of you know you can't blame yourself and and I get that from there's a whole bunch of different things that happen in people's lives where you you know you feel that you can blame yourselves I think if you aren't in a position where you have felt in your case a self-worth a positive surrounding in what your day-to-day life is or understanding that you can say no to things or you can stand up for yourself and you that's going to diminish what could possibly be a a, you know a a different relationship with somebody it's going to diminish what you as a person might feel like you bring value to in your relationships and it leaves the door open for these people to do what he started doing with you it, it's available it makes that and I hate to use the word manipulation but they he saw the weakness right and that was his way of going I can if I just build her up I can bring her down well I have a question to follow that then what did he ever if anything say about his mother and his father 
Did he ever talk about them? Did you ever meet them? Did he ever okay. talk about their relationship? Like how, how was that? Totally off to the side, but just, I'm just curious. No, it's, it's relevant. Yeah. I, um, I did question. meet them. I met them over thanks and not Thanksgiving. Wow. I met them over New Year's because I had gone to, he, so we went to school in Massachusetts. I would live in Connecticut. He was from Jersey. So I went down to Jersey for, um, we actually ended up going into New York city for like for times square for New Year's Eve, but whatever, <laughs> but I met the parents then very, very nice people. Like, and in oh. front of them, he was just like mama bear, like papa, like, you know, I'm going to go out fishing with my dad, like you and mom can go shopping, you know, and, and I loved his parents and I met his sister, you know, he has an older sister. Um, and I met her at the house. I don't, I can't remember if she was living there or just there for the holiday or what, but, um, and there was no, there was no red flags. There was no animosity or conflict within that household between all of them. He doted on his mother. He respected his mother. Him and his dad were BFFs. The dad took care of the mother. So that's very interesting because usually when you have, or was it all a show with the dad, right? Because is the does the dad abuse the mom, but she married him, and yeah. they they're this is like their routine where they put it on for people. Yeah. They're not going to let other people see it. Would be right. something I would wonder, knowing right. what I know right. now. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, I truly I don't know just from what I because I met them a few times over the course of the next few months before I ended things with him, and it was the same thing. It was they were just so hospitable. They would come up to Massachusetts, um, like for the weekend to visit him and take us out to dinner and like, yeah, like, so I don't know they're very you well. You just have to wonder friends. what made him, right. Some things mm-hmm. made him be the yeah. way that he was being. And I just, usually it's, it's usually starts, it starts in a place there too, right? Like we, we've talked about it a few occasions of like generational roles and mm-hmm. in- men and women play in the house right the mother is always the doting one does everything yeah there watches if you go back into like the 50s or 60s watch what they eat make sure yeah. they're in shape. don't eat too much don't drink too much or if you drink drink behind scenes like yeah common like well it's a show thing too right like i'm gonna put on a show so you mm-hmm. think everything is perfect right so they could been pros at making you see a different thing than what exactly he was brought up right this is but there's also cases with, you know, abusers and serial killers who grew up in happy homes. Yeah, he right. could just be a psychopath. Yeah. I... Shock the nation. With when we go more into the story, you'll actually change that to a sociopath. But yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, no, yeah. it was. Oh, I'm sorry. The... <laughs> because you said sociopath. This is a huge question. And me and John always go through this because we always like to try to figure out the difference between yes, a I was gonna ask you. and a, a psychopath. psychopath. Please tell oh. us the difference and then, yes. So my professional opinion of a social, first of all, a sociopath does not have any empathy. That's the problem. Okay. Are they That's able to emulate though? Like are no. they able to emp- No, so, okay. Okay, so I'm not a professional like psychiatrist, psychologist. I work as a psych nurse. I see a lot. Right. Sociopaths do not have empathy. They cannot feel, they cannot feel others' emotions. I will say an off the record sign of a sociopath versus a psychopath. And this is straight up experience. 
in the work that I do is if you look in their eyes and see nothing, yeah, that's your sociopath. Yeah. Oh, wow. Psychopaths do it for thrills. Yeah. Psychopaths, I've always believed can emulate empathy and different feelings to make you believe that they could be a, a functioning person. But in reality, they can like, manipulate someone else. Yeah. They, they just don't know those. And again, I'm not a professional in that sense, but they just don't know how to even pretend to care or how to even pretend to love, or they just manipulate with actions and words to make you think that that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That's kind of what I meant by like, they can emulate things. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. In that sense. All right. So where are we now? Okay. So I know that you had mentioned that he did become physically abusive. When did that kind of start? Um, he got a lot more hands-on um, once I started not wanting to have sex with him. And was he your first? Yes. Okay. He was my first and that was consensual. Um, and the first few times were consensual. Um, what I did not realize at the time was that I was carrying sexual abuse trauma that I couldn't remember at that time. Um, so sex wasn't always fun for me. Okay. I can't imagine it would be because your early experience with it was. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know why I didn't remember it. I just knew like why every time after I'm having sex with my boyfriend, why do I feel dirty? Why do I feel like I need to scrub out my insides and bleach take a bleach shower you know I didn't get it um there's a cat right now (laughs) (laughs) we we love animals here it's okay it's fine Um, so so then he so then I would start being like no I'm not in the mood whatever and he would just well you know I'm your boyfriend and you're my girlfriend and you know I you know I'm horny and maybe just give me a blowjob and I'd be like I don't even want to fucking do that because that grosses me out too um, and so that's when he would start to get physical. And I think that's an important thing to say too, because we, we talk about, you know, consensual as being somebody who's like outside of a relationship, but like, I think the idea of consensual, consensual sex relationship with a partner is still something that people don't necessarily understand should exist. Yes. Just because you're in a relationship with somebody or just because you're married to somebody does not mean that you have to do it whenever they want. If you don't want to do it to you. Exactly. Like there is a thing called spousal rape because it does exist. Like, and And I I definitely agree with you that people think once you're in a committed relationship or once you're married, that just because the other person wants to do it, you have to do it. And I have news, like there has not been one time in my marriage where I'm like, I don't want to do it. He wants to do it. And we do it. If I don't want to do it, we don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have been with partners before my husband who would still make me do something and I would do it out of guilt. Right. Because right. you feel bad. You yeah. get the guilt trip and then you feel bad. And I, and you know what? And I, even in, in my personal, like if, if I don't want to go, Oh, I feel bad. I don't want to do it. He's like, Nick, I don't care. But like, I still go to that. Yes. Fine. I'll do it. But yeah. then and I don't even, yeah, I don't even do the fine. I'll do it. I'll apologize. Like, cause it's not happening, you know, like just yeah. in the sense of like, and then he's like, I don't care. And I'm like, I know. I just like, I feel bad. Cause for whatever reason, again, down you do. 
our core DNA. We're almost in the sense of yes. No, I'm like, I've only ever said that to my husband one time. And it was early on in our relationship where we were dating. It was before we got married and I did feel bad because I just wasn't into it. And I did say to him, fine, I'll do it. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he was like, are you kidding me right now? Why would you think that I want you to do something that you don't want me? Like what? And it was like this moment of like, right. Oh, that's not normal. Yeah. I mean, I still do like, I just like recently, I think it was this weekend where I was like, John was like trying, I was like, eh, my back, like, he's like, okay. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Did I, <laughs> Nick, like, it's like, it's really just fine. I'm like, we've been together 15 years and I still do it knowing that he does not fucking care, you know, like, because John would never no. <laughs> ever, ever make you or want you to, feel. so yeah. it, it, it blows my mind though. Like that we, as as girls and women think that we need to it's like a duty of ours because what did he say to you but i'm horny yeah yeah like you owe me this because you it's almost in that sense well you doing whatever you're doing is causing me to yeah this way so then it is kind of that like guilt trip god i hate men sometimes jesus yeah me too yeah So, no. when the, so when that stuff started happening now, you mentioned earlier, and again, this is going to get a little bit more graphic. It turned into just give me a blowjob. And you mentioned you didn't like doing those things. Would you still do it? Or was it more of a, well, let me rephrase. Did you do it because he was forcing you or was it that guilt part of it? I did it so that I wouldn't get hit. And that's a different aspect too. Right. right. So he, if you didn't do it, that's when he would get abusive. So technically, in his eyes, he didn't force me to do anything. I right. did it. You but did. I knew it was coming if I didn't. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And this is the thing. And again, I am no expert and I don't want to like, but like when we, again, talk about, you know, spousal rape and spousal abuse and what happens in the home, there are those things. It's like you, d- we do things in relationships, men and women too. It's not just women, maybe women more so often, but it is to avoid that aftermath, right? The silent treatment. Like you hear men talk about women all the time. Well, if I go golfing, she's not going to talk to me for you know yeah. a day. So I'm not going to go golfing. It is this, we're this society. And I think this is a generational thing. And I'm kind of hoping that over the years that we'll eventually grow out of it because everybody's supposed to be partners now, but yeah. it is still that thing. Like you do things, to prevent the, yeah. the the subsequent actions that are going to happen, right? And it is yeah. it is a way of protecting yourself. And as people who haven't lived through abuse or haven't had an experience with it, don't understand that concept, right? Um, you could have just said no. Yeah, I could have said no, but I would have gotten my ass beat. So yeah. why would I say no? Yeah. Well, yeah, you have to choose. Am I going to do this sexual thing that I don't want to do? Or am I going to get physically beat for not doing it? Right. Yeah. That's the thing that comes with abuse. I I think, again, that people don't understand that a lot of women, especially when they're put in those positions, you do it just to avoid the worst part, right? Yeah. Worse can happen. Yeah. So did Yeah. So in, in choosing to do it, right, because you were worried about this. Did it ever escalate that even when you were doing it, you still got in a, like the abuse to continue or a different degree of it? Like, yeah, that- it, it did at times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know there was one time that I didn't even realize what had happened um, until I was actually talking to my, like the counselor at the, the health center later on, but he had brought me over. Like I had gone to his, de- his apartment, I'd gone to his dorm. Um, and so the college I went to is a junior college. So the dance program that I was in was the only four-year program. Everything else was associates. So the campus oh, itself okay. is a dry the campus itself is a dry campus because the majority of the students were underage. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we managed to get alcohol on campus, but that's neither here nor there. I had actually broken up with him at that point. Um, and this was before other things went down um, just because he was a fucking asshole and I don't feel like dealing with him. Um, and he's like, well, just come over to the apartment or to the dorm. He's like, let's just talk like you and I, this and that, whatever. And I'm just like, fine. Like just, I wanted him off my ass. So I went over there. Um, it wasn't just him and me talking. It was like his roommate was there and a couple other people were there. They had some alcohol. Um, at that point in time, you know, me being a college freshman, a 17 year old college freshman, I'm like, I like my wine coolers. Like, you know, <laughs> give me some Arbor Mist. Boone's you know? Farm. <laughs> Arbor yeah, so oh my god <laughs> I cannot even with Arbor Mist but if he I had all of it there like yeah. ready for me to go and I'm like all yeah. right well if you're offering me you know so anyway long story short I got shit-faced that night in his dorm and woke up hours later with nothing on the bottom of me and no memory no recollection of what happened so I was adamant that nothing had happened. I was like, sometimes I just strip when I'm hot and I fall asleep. And, you know, obviously I had a good time, whatever. And I was telling, I'll never forget. I was telling my therapist this, the counselor lady at the, um, the student hall. And she's like, Brittany, like you were raped. But you couldn't let yourself admit that to yourself. So you were going to every No, I didn't even remember it. So I'm like, I could not have been raped. Like, And you're also in a position where you've already been through abuse that you've put in the back of your mind. Know what it's like. Yeah. And you've just locked it up. Right. And this is my boyfriend and my boyfriend won't rape me. Right. So, so that, that was a, you know. So I didn't know if I was more mad at my counselor or if I was more mad at him because like, she's claiming I got raped. I think he, like, I know he tricked me. I know he didn't want me to because he had these all this alcohol, but at the end of the day, it's like, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that like, if something had gone down and the reason I woke up with no pants on and no underwear on blacked out, you know he still couldn't have done that to me. Like he still, it, it just out of my head. So I want to, that's a, that's a very good point, but I'm going to ask you, and I'm sorry if this is like invasive, but no, would you defend that knowing that in times of when you did say no, he would beat you? Like why didn't your brain, and if it, you can't answer that question, you could just tell me like, I can't answer that. But like, no, hearing what you're saying from an outside standpoint, you yeah. know, he was capable of this. Now you have a person, of course, there's probably nothing there for you to show that like, okay, I was like, there's probably was no right. struggle, but obviously yeah. conscious. So that's a, that's a different story, but knowing yeah. your history with him, why did you just go? No, he wouldn't do that to me. Because 
he never had before because I always made that choice to just give him what he wanted. Well, and I feel like that's the worst possible thing you could think about somebody. And in that moment, right, you still, a part of you is going to one, defend him, but also kind of defend that innocence of you that knows nobody would do that to me. Nobody's going to do that to me. Right. Not this person who, who loves me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's happened to me as a child, but now this man is claiming he loves me. So he can't do that to me. And I grew up watching my father love my mother. Right. Right. And that love, like that kind of love doesn't do this shit. Right. 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 You know, so. Fucking love, man. I tell you, it tricks you. (laughs) So what kind of was the next part of your relationship? I mean, did you ever ask him about what happened? Did you just kind of brush it off as like, nothing happened. I don't even want to know. Did you even, as far as I can remember what I would say, did you even mention your therapist mentioned the possibility of it? Oh no, no. Because I knew his anger. Gotcha. He would have beat her for talking about it. And he would have beat me for telling me, telling her about it. Like it just would have, everyone would have been just bloodied on the ground. Um, I guess the next biggest thing, and this is where my Facebook post came from, initially was spring break. So for whatever reason, my college has spring break, like mid March, very early on. Um, and he was from a lower state within driving distance and lived on the ocean. Um, so I went down to his hometown and spent spring break down on the shore, even though it was March. (laughs) It wasn't that warm. (laughs) Um, but so this was the second time that I'd gone down to where he lives. Um, so I had been there for that, that, um, New Year's. Um, and it was just the week, like we were just gonna hang out, you know, if it got warm, we, you know, sit on the beach, if not, whatever, like meet his friends, do this, do that. It was fine at first. Um, and so I should just say, I don't know if this will matter, but I had already tried to break up with him before spring break. And he essentially begged me to take him back. He literally, this fool, broke up with him just because he acted like such an asshole. This was before spring break. Got down on his knees in the center of the student center. So it literally looked like he was like proposing to me but begging me to take him back in front of 200 other students. Wow. Yeah. And I was just like, we're not fucking doing that right here. Like, <laughs> let's take a walk. Like, I'm, not be- I'm not this person right now. So he did it all. You know, he sent me the flowers. He sent me the chocolates. He got down in the middle of the student center and you know on his knees begging with his hands in his air begging me to take him back like he did it all and I took him back because I mean what you were young you were young young and he's my first boyfriend and I'm like maybe and this whole time I'm thinking these are the things I'm doing wrong you know I need to eat the goddamn salad I need to have sex with him when he wants to have sex like it's not that hard I'm pissing him off. I can do better and then this will work. Yes. So spring break comes along. We're down in 
near in his hometown. First few days are fine. We're just having a ball, whatever. I was going to, the first few days that you were there, did he actually like go back to what you originally had started dating? So he was supposedly yes. a changed, changed man at this point. Yeah, he was all over me. He, um, not all over me, but he, he like was worshiping me again. So in my, was, in my, my other question too, when he was begging you to take him back and he was going through all these motions, did he ever say to you, I'll change, I'll do better? Or was it more yeah. so he did do all that? Okay, so it was kind he of- said like, that. So you yeah. were giving him essentially a second chance. Right, yeah. He essentially was saying, I know what I did wrong. I, you know, this and that. And I just wanted somebody to love me and not abandon me and not betray me and not bully me. Right. And so you this, this, this guy who was, you know, somewhat abusive, but also giving you that positive reinforcement where you're, yeah. where you can make those excuses for that person. Right. You're exactly. Like, oh, you know, and I say yeah. this all the time, toxic relationships are toxic relationships, regardless mm-hmm. of who the person is, but we get sucked into, well, they're going to change or that's just who they are or, you know, or it's you in the sense of, I need to be better. I need to do this. Right. If I don't make him mad, it's fine. If I don't make him mad, it's fine. But, and and in what state I'm, I'm glad, obviously I'm glad you're out of it, but I'm, when, when we speak with young, cause I'm a big thing with teaching young girls and relationships and having them understand is that mentality where we're, we're groomed at such a young age. Don't piss off your father. Don't, make your dad angry. Don't yeah. like, we always have to abide by making sure the man in our life is, is happy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an unspoken rule almost like mm-hmm. the thing in my house was wait till your dad gets home. Like I knew as soon as my mother said that yeah. I was in trouble. And I think yeah. that carries on like where you're coming from in that sense. I think that carries on with how we treat the men in our lives. We don't want to piss them off. They need to be the happier ones. Yeah. And kind of, and it's such a, I do it too, as such a strong female that I am. I do it too. Like John being happy makes my life easier. Like, yeah, not yeah. that he's like abusive or anything, but like there's that, what's that saying? Happy, happy life, happy wife. And I'm always like, no, it's happy spouse, happy house. Like there's always going to be one person whose happiness is, is ways heavier yeah. relationship than it being. And it's, it can switch in that variation. It's just hearing you say that makes me think of all the things that we're taught at such a young age. And it just like enrages me that we are taught that. And I don't think it's purposely, right. I don't think we're purposely taught that. I think it's a generational. It is. You teach what you're taught, right? So if your parents, parents said it to them and their parents said it to them. I mean, I find myself, I find myself saying things to Gavin that I, that, you know, things that were said to me as a kid. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you, you hear things and you repeat them and it, you hear things and you repeat them and you hear things and you repeat them. And it's just kind of how it goes. Right. A generational cycle where we're, which is why I asked earlier about his parents' relationship. So, okay. So now you're, you're at his hometown and the first few days are great. Yep. We are. Something happens. We're just shopping around. We're walking the boardwalk, going out to eat. He's, you know, we're going to bars that he knows he can get into and get me drinks and it's fine. Um, it was the Wednesday of the week, spring break, 
And you're still 17 at this point, right? No, I had turned 18. You, oh, that's right. December. Yeah. Right, so you're 18 at this point. Yeah. Okay. So this, yeah. So I turned 18 at the end of um, the fall semester. Um, He's like, so we're driving around. It was the Wednesday night. And he's like, oh, I want to go like, you know, see my friends, you know, meet my friends at their apartment, which is something we kind of had been doing this whole time anyway. So I'm like, whatever, like, fine. Um, we get there and I'll never forget. It was above, it was one of those like apartments that's like above a store, you know, mm-hmm. like it's like a building and the store at the bottom and then the apartments are top. Is it like on the boardwalk? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. Was it part of the boardwalk? It was, it was like a block back from the boardwalk. It wasn't right on the boardwalk. Um, but yeah, those things. I know. Exactly. So um, we go up there and he's like, yeah, he's like, just to get together. Like, you know, the little beer, the little this, the little that, whatever. I'm like, fine. Like, I'm just, you know, I wasn't having a terrible time. I definitely was like not wanting to be with him. But while I'm there, I might as well like take advantage of like, you know, all the free clothes he's buying me and, you know, dinners and <laughs> booze. <laughs> so, um, we get up in there to this, to this apartment and I should preface this with saying back before spring break, at some point during the, that, that some there, the spring semester, I had seen him dealing weed out of his dorm room. Oh, and I said, listen, I said, I don't care if you smoke like at that point I was like a goody girl. Like I goody two shoes. Like I don't smoke. I don't want to smoke. Like whatever. If you do it fine, just don't do it in front of me. Right. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. So with that being said, we go up into this friend's apartment and I walk in and it's, it's me and him together walking in. And there are about, I don't know. It's a small apartment, but there's like eight, nine, 10, other guys up there and you're the only only, female I'm the only female and already I'm just like dude like this sucks like can we please go like I don't want to hang out with all your stupid boyfriends all night long um you know and he's like no just you know we're gonna stay around you know we'll stay for a little bit and then we'll go and um what I came to quickly realize was that every single one of these guys that was already in this apartment were on one or more types of drugs. And it took me a second to realize that he had brought me in to this apartment, knowing like with the thought that he was going to be getting drugs essentially. So he has Um, isolated his like weed to, to more stuff, which you weren't aware yes. of. Yes. I was not aware of. I, I had a, a thought, but I had no proof. Got it. So this was my proof. And I'm immediately just like, what the fuck? Like, I, you are not bringing me up here so you can have your drug deals, whatever. Like, and I also was just not comfortable with, you know, a dozen other guys that are, you know, high off their asses. Um, and he's like, it's fine. Like, let me just make this, you know, trade or whatever, however he phrased it. Next thing I know, he's like talking to somebody Like he had walked away from me. He's talking to somebody and they both look over at me and he comes back to me and he says, you know, I don't have enough money to buy these drugs. 
And I'm like, well, fine. Well, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, I, I don't want to stay here. I don't like it here. And he's like, no, I don't have enough money for the drugs. But I'm getting the drugs. And that's when it dawned on me that I was going to be his currency that night. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think of the words to ask in such a sensitive moment because I would like to think if I was in the position that I would scream, kick, do whatever. What was I think the shock takes over? That was going to be my question. You were in such shock that this was even a thought. Mm-hmm that the next move really just plays out how any of this is gonna go down. Yeah. So understanding like you knew what he meant, but was there like a verbal transaction with you and him where he solidified? It was just more of a- It didn't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw him shake hands with another guy there. Um, Both of them looking at me. Um, and then he had told me, you know, go wait in the other room. I'll come get you. I think he was under the impression that I wasn't, I don't even want to say I was aware of what was going on at that point because I was in such shock and I was already terrified because these dudes up here are already like clearly like out of their goddamn minds, like with all these hard drugs that they're doing. Um, and he's like, just go wait over there. Like go in that room, you know, I'll come get you. And I think I was trying to convince myself that like looking back now, I feel like I might've known, but I was trying to convince myself that no, this is just like, you know, he, he wants to deal these drugs. And I told him that he couldn't do it in front of me. So he's having me go into this other room so that I don't see it. And I appreciate him doing that. That was where my, my headspace was in that moment, because that's the only thing that made logical sense. I, I don't blame you. I would hope. Well, that. Yeah. Why? Well, I, I mean, I still would be, I mean, I feel like any, anybody in that situation, right. Would, would be trying to grasp that like, this isn't that that's surely I'm crazy. Right. I looked around and there was no way out. Um, And I just did my best to convince myself that he is going to do this massive drug deal and he doesn't want me to see it because I told him I didn't want to see it. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to be in this room with the door open with all these other men, college boys, men, older guys, whatever, in this living room, staring into this room that I'm just waiting in right? um, for my boyfriend to do his drug thing and take me out and get me out of here you're yeah you're a protector at this point and that's not what happened at all um i'm just gonna preface this i don't expect you to go into details and you can share whatever you feel comfortable yeah you you share what you choose and, and feel comfortable sharing yeah you can paint the picture of you were just put in that room and we can leave it here 
Um, if you want to talk about more, you're allowed to. It, it, this is completely up to you. I want you to know that this is up to you. Yeah, don't feel like you have to say anything else. That's. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it turned into seven hours. <sighs> there were about, like I said, 10 or 12 different men there. Um, essentially what had happened was my ex did not have the money for the drugs he wanted, whether that was planned or not. I don't know. I don't want to speculate on it, but I was there and I was his payment. And I was free game. Um, and it was, you know, sometimes I, I use the term just like it was only rape because that's the easiest to deal with. Right. Um, there were sometimes multiple guys at the same time, they had objects. I had a gun held to my head at one point. And then that same gun was put inside of me. Um, I remember laying there in between, you know, when they were off taking their breaks and getting their drugs. And I just remember laying there staring at the door that they would come into, just wondering what was coming next. Um, would this be the time that they kill me? And I actually accepted that night that I was going to die. We were right by the ocean. It would have been very easy for them to just dump me. And you know, it's like a very odd thing that happens when you accept you're gonna die because you just wait. And you're just, it's, it's this peace. I still felt so much pain with everything that they did to me, but it was so much more tolerable because I knew it was going to end. And my biggest fear was my only thought was that my parents wouldn't have a body to bury. Um, yeah. I'm going to say something and because I, I, I feel like I need to, and, and I don't know if it's going to, it, it's not meant to be insensitive at all, but I have never spoken to any, like we watch these things on TV, we read about them, but I have never spoken to anybody that's actually lived that through it. And it's such a obsession of ours as a society to under, like to see these scenes or these things that happen behind closed doors or happen every day, right? There's so many women out there that are dealing with this. But I have never actually sat down and, and I'm crying and I don't I don't fucking cry for anything. 
Um, I think all three of us are crying right now. Yeah, I yeah. just, I can't like, I can't imagine. And it's, it's very much a, well, if I was put in that position, you know, you start thinking of all these things, but like you said, the shock took over the not feeling like you had any escape, right? Like we don't know what we're going to be put in those situations. Like how many times have you watched a horror movie and there's somebody running away? Like, why are you going that way? Right? Like it's go ahead. I also think in the back of your mind, this man who says he loves me, isn't going to let anybody hurt me. Right. So even if you, even if you think the worst, surely this person isn't going to let this happen to me right. until I saw him cheering them on. Oh, stop it. So I was just going to say like maybe one or, th- and I'm not, not, I'm again, not trying to be in sense. Maybe one or two. I'm like, all right, he's going to come get me. He's going to come get me now. That's like, what it was at first. Yeah. This is over. Like I, I did what he, like I, we should. He, he, yeah. His drugs are paid for. Yeah. Yeah. Like I slept with these guys whatever I let them do what they want his, he's got his drugs like let's go I remember the time on the car when we pulled up to this place and I remember the time in the car when we were driving back to his house and it was so over he, he came he came in just like nothing happened that was gonna be like I didn't want to transition so quickly but I mean he was there that whole night I was at times screaming for him and I could hear him laughing so when this was all said and done yes he did come in he came in he you know got whatever it was that he wanted substances did he he didn't participate though not at that point okay um we were driving back to his house after this and when i tell you that there were moments there were times and this was literally seven, over seven hours. There were times where I was knocked unconscious. I, be, I believe it. Yeah. There were times when I just completely dissociated out. I believe so it. I don't remember it all. We were driving. We were in the car. The, the next thing I remember is being in his car. I don't even remember it like, you know, ending and going to getting dressed and going back down. The next thing I know is we're in his car driving back to his house and he is he's driving and I just remember feeling just like this I can't like like saying that I felt like a shell what doesn't even do it justice like but I'm just sitting there in disbelief and still somewhat dissociated and he is at every red light at every stop sign he's beating me because I slept with his friends (gasps) I'm glad you sighed like you made a gasp because both of our hands are over our mouth and we're in silence like yeah we get back to his house and I so the house like (sighs) it was his parents house right where we were staying so they had like gotten the, the basement all, it was like a ranch house. So they got the basement, like that's where I was staying. I had my own like futon, whatever. Gets me down and I am literally like, I can barely move. I am bruised. I am sore. I just, it, it, it's just whatever. He brings me down 
to my basement like bedroom and I don't know where it came from but he had a knife and he starts raping me telling me that if I'm going to sleep with his friends that he gets the last you know last of me that night or whatever it is and he has this goddamn butter knife like a butter knife of all things and shoves it into the the top of my thigh and to this day I still have a scar and that was my punishment for sleeping with his friends. Oh my god. I, I like I'm like lost for words. Yeah. I I, I don't know what to say. Honey, there's nothing oh to say. It is what it is. You, you know? know what I am going to say? I'm so happy that you are sitting here and able to talk about this. Because I can imagine it's taking you a very long time to do this. And I hope for whatever reason that you come out of this as your healing journey, that you were able to sit down and talk about this and that you are helping so many people and children to understand that relationship. It's not their fault. fault. They didn't do anything wrong. And I hope you put your head on your pillow every night and you realize that honestly and truly from the bottom of my fucking black heart. I really, (laughs) I really do because I can't, the fact that you're here speaking just speaks. The the fact that you are in grad school and the fact that you are helping adolescents who have been through trauma after going through what you went through speaks incredible volumes to the type of person and your heart and that you are not going to let this piece of shit garbage man win. And honestly, the strength you ever wanted to feel value in life, understand the strength that you are holding right now. Like you are doing what every abuser doesn't want people to do. You're talking you are living to tell the story. And that, like, if anything, like I said, when you rest that pretty little head of yours on your pillow, know that you have survived something and you are turning it into something positive. And that takes tremendous strength. But not only are you turning it into something positive, you are helping others and you're helping the young adolescent people deal with their trauma i'm like over here with like i want to get like 19th century pitchforks and like go put this man on a stake and like <laughs> get all italian be like i know a person who knows a person and <laughs> don't have to <laughs> use any names but right right but Brittany, <laughs> you, the fact that you can sit here and 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 talk about it speaks volumes yeah, it's just like it's not even the worst part yet. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh no. So it's up to you if you want to continue, but do you want to share the worst of it? I do. I mean, I will. Okay. Um, 
So that night happened. And like I said, there were roughly a dozen guys there who all took their turns. And then my boyfriend at the end of the night took his turn. And I went back. I can't, I honestly cannot remember if I went home first before going back to school um, after spring break ended. But either way, I was in school for dance. I'd been a performer my entire life. I knew how to cover things up. I was just about to say, having that that background, you knew how to kind of pretend. Well, so that, yeah, I was I was gonna ask you, you didn't you didn't tell anybody. No. And I now that I'm a nurse, I am like, I probably had a lot more damage to my body than I thought because I didn't get any kind of treatment. My biggest concern was covering all the marks and all the bruises because they literally hit me, slapped me, punched me, kicked me, threw me against the wall. Like it was, but I know how to do stage makeup and I know how to cover it up. So again, I can't remember if I went back home or just went straight back to school, but either way, I went back on with my life and by that point it was the second half of the semester so as dancers you know our finals quote unquote are performances we don't have papers you know we don't have tests we have to come up with something apparently a few of my dance instructors dance instructors saw through the makeup the tights the leotards and saw some of the marks um and brought it to the attention of the uh, like the psych people that I was seeing still. And of course I downplayed it. I'm clumsy, I'm this, I'm that, it's spring break, I was drunk, whatever. But what I couldn't, what I couldn't write off was the fact that my belly was growing and a little bit back to the eating disorder I was so sick at that time with my eating disorder that I had lost my period it was irregular I never knew when it was kind of calm if it came it might have been a day it might have been 10 days it was so bad I was so was literally dying of this eating disorder in the meantime. And I couldn't hide in my ballet classes where all we're allowed to wear is leotards and tights that I was a little bit more bloated week to week. And I knew what it meant. And I knew when it was from because after that whole night, after that assault and going back to school, I refused to have sex with him. So it's from that night. And my biggest fear was the fact that this man almost beat me to the brink of unconsciousness in his car the night, like, after it happened, 
and then stabbed me because I, in his words, slept with his friends. And now I have this baby inside of me. And I don't know whose it is. And there's a few things that like, I was terrified of him. I was terrified that as angry as he was that night, that he'd find out I was pregnant with one of his friends. I didn't know what he would do to me. I was terrified of coming, by now it was like April. I was terrified of coming home once the semester ended to my very Catholic community and my very Catholic parents and my church as an unmarried woman with a baby. Yeah. Got off, went off to college, had sex and then pregnant and going back to the eating disorder. I was still very, very, very sick with my eating disorder. And the doctor that I had seen when I found out that I was pregnant, that I went to go like do the confirmation, you know, ultrasound and all that had told me that at the 95 pounds that I was at the time, my body would most likely not be able to carry to term. And I grew up very Catholic. I knew what abortion meant. I was just, I fucking hate that word. Yeah. I was just going to say one of the conversations that I have openly talked about was growing up Catholic and being taught what abortion means because with my, and you, I know you mentioned that you're going to listen or you started listening to my story. That was my immediate thought when I had to do it was wait, what? Yeah. Because it, we're in, in, embedded to believe that an abortion kills the baby, right? Like you're killing a human life. And it wasn't until I was in that position that I was like, okay, everything I ever believed in doesn't sit with me well anymore. And that's a hard pill to swallow. And I grew up Catholic too. So I, I'm, I'm resonating with you so much right now because that decision fucked with me because it was very much me or the baby. Yeah. Right. And well, it, not in your situation, Nikki, because there wouldn't have been an endophic pregnancy. It's not you or the baby. It's you but, or no one. Right. But in my Catholicism brain, right. I was making a decision to kill a life form like that. And I've spoken openly about this. This is how we're taught. You and I went to the same Catholic high school. We yeah. were we were taught this this was taught in religion class like we understood like it was given to us so yeah. what you're feeling right now obviously different circumstances I 100% it fucks with you yeah it, and my whole thing was it was there were so many things so I'm still in college at this point the semester has not ended and I had so many things in my head I had this boyfriend who again beat me up after he sold me because it was my fault that I slept with his friends 
stabbed me while he was raping me that same night. Now I'm pregnant with who knows whose child. I can't go to him and tell him that because the only thing I could think of was he was going to kill me or throw me down a set of stairs or something where he was going to kill the baby. Um, coming home, coming back home to Connecticut to my town. And Nikki, you know, the town I live in, like, yep. And it travels fast. Yeah. To a father who prides himself on the perfect family and that I'm the perfect daughter. And all of a sudden this perfect daughter comes home pregnant from first year of college. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. Um, I did not want him finding out because I knew the second he found out he would do something to me whether it was to kill the child or kill me or both or whatever. Meaning the boyfriend, not the father. I just the boyfriend, to- <laughs> yes. No, my father would never lay a hand on me. Right. I just want to make sure that was clear. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but having that, I don't know. And going way back to when I was first talking about molested as a child and feeling dirty. It's like, now I have one of these monsters inside of me. And I'm growing this child who was a, who came to be because of rape, because of trafficking, because of drugs because these men only saw me as an object to their satisfaction. And also knowing physically that I will most likely not survive this pregnancy. Either myself or my baby will not survive because of course the universe had to come together at the precise moment for my period to be like, hey, I'm here, let's get pregnant on the one night It just, it was so much, and I was so alone. I felt so alone, and I was terrified. Everywhere I looked, there was no safe place to go. There was no safe answer. There was no, nowhere that I could go that I would feel like I'm safe here until we can figure out what's going on. And I finished, I did my dance finals. I did those, I passed those. I, at that point I had broken up with him, but I pretended to get back together with him just so that I could get into his dorm to steal his drug money to fund what I was about to do. I'm, I'm gonna applaud you on that one. And I still, to this day, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I don't know if that, if it was right for me. Um, but I made the decision that out of pure terror, to be honest, terror from him, my boyfriend, terror from coming home to the small town, Connecticut. And I was just like this, I can't either way. Like, and so I, I, I knew where he hid his money. 
and I took it and I went and I got a procedure done. It was after my, all of my dance finals so that I could do those fine. Um, got a procedure done that I still to this day can't say the word. Um, and then, you know, I went home. I had to go back to finish like a fucking, I don't even know. It was like English or lit final, like whatever. I drove back one day and did that. But I went home and all my family knew was, no, I broke up with him. He was an asshole. And I had to move on with my life. After the experience that I had gone through that night in March. And after finding out that I was pregnant from this assault and knowing what I had done to end it. And I went home. And I just swallowed it down. It's to hear the word swallow it down because that's again as women that's what we do right like we have to take any trauma or anything that we've been through and it's not a big deal like or my favorite is what did you do like you know what did you do and it's that fear of having to tell somebody and that's going to be the first question you get well what did you do to make him upset or what did you it's never well what happened it's what did you do? And this is a generational curse, I believe. Again, going back to my original statement earlier, what you're brought up of don't make these other, don't make the men in your life upset, cater to them, make sure they're happy. We are constantly asking, and and I brought this up before, it was, uh, I think it was the episode with Jackie, there was uh, the thing about Kim Kardashian with Kanye West and Noah Trevor, (laughs) Trevor Noah, excuse me. He posted a whole, th- he posted a video of like, we're all sitting here watching it and we're asking what she did, but we're not asking like what happened it has nothing to do right. with what you did. Yeah, you didn't please, do anything wrong. Please know this has nothing to do with what you did. It's what happened. It's the, the situation in which you were put in that was out of your control. And I hope you realize that. Many years later, I can realize that, yeah. So just to be like, you know, not that I want to rush you through this, but just to kind of come back and like, because I want, I want to focus on where you are now. Like I, I, I right. healing that you've done. So do and, I. Yeah. So yeah. Do I. I don't want this to be your, like, it is your story, but I want to showcase what it took for you to come back and be like, okay. So you mentioned earlier. So one of the things that I mentioned uh, to Heather was when the Roe versus Wade thing was happening. That's how I found out about your story was you were getting this option. And we are now living in a world where if this had happened to you recently, that wouldn't have been an option. Right. I like to think that she was a girl. As she has a name. So I will refer to her as she and my daughter, but I really, I don't know. Um, but yeah. what people say to me is, you know, you could have given her up for adoption. You could have 
you know, done anything. Like there's people out there that want kids. And I, I get that. I get that. However, and this is me being part selfish and part now researching the things I do, I can say with pretty good authority had I had followed through with that pregnancy and been able to carry it full term, despite my doctor saying I couldn't because I was 95 pounds and didn't have a period, had all gone well. And I gave birth to this beautiful baby girl and set her off for adoption to a wonderful, you know, family, parents who love her, who bring her up perfectly. <sighs> the biological formation of her genes and the biological changes that she would have gone through while being formed inside of me while I'm dealing with this trauma would have, excuse my French, fucked her up. And I commend you on admitting that, honestly. That's not an easy thing to admit. And that's not an easy thing to accept. And I think a lot of people live in denial. And a lot of people who've never had to experience what you had to experience live in denial. And they live in their perfect little bubble. And so it's easy for people who live their perfect little lives to pass judgment on people. And that's not right because it's not their life to live. Um, and so I agree with Nikki on what she said to you about the choice you made. Yeah. You did. Um, I just think that you, you in the moment of what you went through and what you experienced, you made the best decision for you and nobody can pass judgment on that because nobody lived that story. Nobody lived that journey. Nobody lived that night, but you. And so you are the only person who should be making the decision on what was best for you in that moment. Um, and again, right. You said you, you weren't physically healthy. So let's say you, you decided that you were going to have this, you know, this pregnancy, there's nothing saying, right. Your doctor even told you, you're probably not going to make it. So I just feel like there's, there's so many different ways um, that that could have played out. And I just feel like you're honoring your child by living the life you're living. You're honoring her because you are, well, no, I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm saying you're honoring your, what I, you're honoring your child by helping other children. Right. So oh, like, God. that's, that's how that. I'm looking at it is I'm, I'm looking at it as you're the, the journey that you found yourself on, not by choice, led you down a path, making a horrendous decision that nobody should ever have to make. And you made the best decision that you could for yourself. And in honoring what you did, you're living a life that took you a different path in such a positive way that you get to help and you get to mentor and you get to literally change lives of adolescents who are dealing with trauma in a way that you wouldn't have been able to do had you made a different choice. 
Right. Is and you're you're stopping trauma from continuing because as you said, you know now based on your research and what you're doing in grad school that she would have been, as you said, excuse our French, fucked. Yeah. You know, you stop the gener what is it, the generational curse or the generational Inter intergenerational cycle of abuse. There it is. That's the yeah. technical term. You did that. And you know what? Like I said earlier, I hope you put your pretty little head on your pillow every night knowing that you stopped another human being from having to deal, if not worse, than what you dealt with. And we're no professionals. We're just from a person to person. And this is the thing that gets me with Roe versus Wade when the conversations of rape come up. And it's just, well, they'll be standing citizens. This I can guarantee you, based on what I have researched, based on what I know, and based on what I know as a nurse and just like, I don't want to say simple, but like the generic development of an embryo and a fetus is that they develop based on the mother's um, homeostasis, right? So had this child of mine, had I not made the decision that I made and had for whatever reason, you know, miraculous reason, I survived through nine months of this pregnancy and given birth to this baby, whether I had kept her or not, she in her biological DNA had that stress. Right. And had that trauma that may or may not have come up immediately or years down the road. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say this to like, you know, like, like justify what I did because to this day, I still regret it oh. to this. I remember that I know the date that that procedure happened and I still remember her due date. And both those days I stay in bed and don't face the world. And it's been, she would be... <laughs> This November, she'd be turning 18 years old. And so the last 18 years, I have been, I don't know. I don't know, but. I want you to know that I appreciate the fact that you honor her in that sense, but also honor, you need to start honoring yourself because you did save a life from trauma. Well, but you also saved your life. You also did save yours because and you're saving other people's lives by doing the work that you're doing. Even bring, um, even if you were to bring her into life, she would still have. She would learn eventually where she came from. Yeah, it's, it's an inevitable thing. And, and I can imagine telling a child that you're the result of a, you know, seven hour kidnapped trafficked tortured gangbang i don't know who your dad is I'm, I'm very sorry that 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 happened to you and i wish that there was something that could be said um to kind of take away that hurt and i know that i mean nothing will ever bring you peace with that situation um but i just want to say that 
hearing you tell your story and hearing you speak about what happened to you, you, you do it in a very eloquent way. And you do it, you do it in a way that I feel like connects with people and it makes it, it makes it seem like, I mean, it's not a TV show, right? This happens in real life. That's my biggest thing is this, we're so wrapped up in this documentaries or what happened to this person, what happened to this person, that we're almost numb that this actually happens. So I don't want to take away from the, the feelings that you're having now, but I do want to ask you, how did you begin to heal? Like, where did your healing journey, um, like, where did you say, I'm not going to let this ruin my life. I'm not going to let, you know, cause your, your life could have turned out a very different way, right? Like you could have ended up dropped out of school. You could have ended up on drugs. You could have ended up living a very different life. So where did you say, and I think I'm going to heal. I think that's a very good point. Like I commend you on where you are right now because you could have been in a completely different situation. So again, rest that pretty little head, honey. But where, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just wondering where did you decide, like, this is the life I want to live and live that life. It took a very, very, very long time. And it took a lot of professionals and it took a lot of me crashing and burning. Um, so after all that was done with him and after I did what I did and, and went back home for the summer and swallowed it down, the next few years were a little chaotic. Um, I was at that point more just, I was still very, very sick with the eating disorder. I actually relapsed pretty hard after that. Um, I don't know. Long story short, I... <sighs> God, it's such a very, very long story. Uh, I don't even know how to make it short. Um, I ended up getting treatment for my eating disorder. And this was, again, like I, I swallowed all of what happened down. So nobody knew. Um, some people knew that I had an abusive ex in college, but that was the extent of it. I ended up getting treatment for my eating disorder. I, um, Grew up in Connecticut. I ended up getting sent out to Ohio to a program out there um, and went into, after about six months in that program, went into uh, recovery from my anorexia. Um, in the meantime, I had met my ex-husband at the time, um, fell in love. I was in Ohio so I decided to stay out there and that's when I started, um, nursing school out there because going back to dance was just too hard for me, um, with everything that I had gone through. Makes sense. Cause you're associating that with yeah. the trauma. Yeah. I mean, real life. Yeah. Yeah. So I started nursing school. I, you know, moved in with my boyfriend. We ended up getting married um, my life was wonderful. I was in re, um, remission from my eating disorder. I was feeling fabulous. Things were great. We got married. Um, and then eventually all of these repressed memories started coming back. So not just from what had happened in college, which a lot of that I actually did repress pretty quickly um, and had convinced myself that the baby was his 
and that I just, you know, ended it because it was his. Um, but also all the stuff from my childhood I had repressed. So that stuff started coming back in the mid like 2010s. I was married in 2013. My husband, wonderful man. I, I can't say enough about him. Um, but then the flashback started and the dissociation started and it really got, you know, it affected our sex life and it affected our marriage. I had another few suicide attempts. Um, one of which my ex-husband, he's my husband at the time, but he found me, um, barely alive and got me, obviously got me to the hospital and back, um, back alive and I got through treatment many times and really truly the last like 10 years have been a roller coaster for me um in and out of treatment um multiple suicide attempts um I you know that whole thing took a toll on our marriage so my marriage fell apart um and I was still living in Ohio at the time so when um we finally like officialized our divorce. I moved back to Connecticut, back home um, later on that year and um, was really truly back in that mindset of there's something wrong with me that the man who pledged his life to me, who vowed in sickness and in health and for better or for worse, turned his back on me when it was for better or for worse. And when I was at my sickest. Um, And I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, there have been, I don't know what year is it now, 2022. So maybe the last six, seven years have been the hardest of my life. Um, I start, I went back to treatment a couple times back to, um, I did like residential treatment. I relapsed with the eating disorder because of course that's the easiest thing for me to, to go back to. As well as because you can control it. Exactly. Um, and I, I mean, I got over that pretty quickly, but I continued to be suicidal. Um, that really never ended. It just got better through the years as I was having better years, um, and, you know, my divorce went through, he, he ended up leaving me and my divorce went through and I moved back to Connecticut. And, um, at that time, my father was getting very sick. Um, I had reconnected with somebody that I truly thought was going to be the man I was going to spend the rest of my life with somebody I knew from high school. Um, and that kind of fizzled away. And my father ended up passing away. And in the meantime, I was once again sexually assaulted while at work. And so many things just got me to the point where it was like, I'm not, I cannot live this life. So a lot of things I skipped over in this story, but essentially the sexual assault, molestation, all of that stuff has been a constant in my life since I was a very young child. Um, and the, the last one that would, that happened almost a year ago now, little less, little over a year ago by a coworker at work sent me to the point where I'm 
I am done. Like my father died. The man that I thought that I was going to be married to the man that I thought was my soulmate has turned his back on me. I have nothing to live for because with all the evidence in my past, this is just going to keep happening in my future. I will always be objectified. I will always be a body and a vessel for men to get pleasure from. Me, Brittany, does not matter. Oh my God. And I've been told that now by my ex-husband who left me, by this other recent ex that left me. I don't matter. It's what, it's my body. And I can't live that way. So I became, I had a plan to kill myself on September 9th of last year. So just, just over a year ago. The only reason I didn't was because the next day was my mother's and my stepdad's um, wedding anniversary. And I didn't want like, my mom to find out that I killed myself on her wedding anniversary. So I was basically like, oh, I'll just wait a few days, whatever. But yeah. I want you to take that to try to embrace that feeling too. Like you were thinking of other people. I was, I always have been. Yeah. And that's what stopped me. Even the multiple attempts that I have had, like the ones that didn't end up with me in the ICU on life support were the ones that made me, you know, I was thinking of others. Um, but I ended up in the hospital after that. And I was on a psych unit here in Connecticut for six weeks. Um, and the entire time I was there, which I'd been there before, and my psychiatrist actually works on that unit, I told them, you know, you let me out of here and I'm going to go home and kill myself. It's not a threat. It's a fact. I have a plan. I want to die. So I was there for six weeks before they could find a residential like treatment center to send me to which I went to in um, October of last year down in Tennessee. And the same thing down there, I was like, I will do what you want me to. I will work the program, but just so you know, I'm going to go home and kill myself. Like I, I had nothing left in me. I had absolutely nothing left in me. Um, and I ended up staying down there for 67 days. And during that time, the staff there and the therapist there showed me my worth by how hard they worked to keep me there, essentially by arguing with my insurance company. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's always no, insurance. It's always, it's always insurance. insurance. So my insurance company denied, you know, they gave me the 30 days, whatever it was, and then like cut me off. And they essentially did an appeal and was like, she can't go home. She's going to kill herself. Like we know her plan. We know the date she wants to do it. We know what she's going to do. And they actually got the insurance company to overturn their denial, which apparently from what I was told was the first time that had happened at that place. Um. And then it happened a second time. And in the meantime, all of these staff members, all of these therapists, everybody there was fighting tooth and nail to show me that they care. So you're worth something. 
and that's what they proved. That's what they proved to me. And while I was there, so, okay. Yes. I grew up Catholic. I don't believe I'm not Christian. I don't, I just have no belief after everything I've gone through, everything the world is going through. I just can't. I understand. So I felt so alone in the universe because it's like, there's nothing here keeping me around. But what I found is that the people that worked there and those staff members that figured out when I was going into a flashback and when I was completely dissociated to the point where I was almost catatonic, they knew what I needed to bring me back to like reality. And they sat with me and they gave it to me day in and day out while also fighting against my insurance company who tried to keep kicking me out knowing that if I were kicked out and had to go home, I'd kill myself. So these people are the ones that at the end of the day showed me that I have worth. A bunch of strangers in Tennessee who I am paying to take care of me are working this hard tooth and nail and are having their own breakdowns and their own issues about how worried they are about me and how scared they are to send me home and overturned a national insurance company twice. That just showed me there's something in me that these strangers see. Right. And I have to trust it. Right. So the staff there, they have become my higher power. And to this day, that is all I need to think back on to know I have worked. Right. And I think that was enough to prove to you to continue this battle to help other people see their worth because you had someone to do it for you. Exactly. And you want to give that worth to them. Oh my gosh. I have so many things I want to say to you. Um, but I'm not going to make you cry right now. Um, but I would love (laughs) to connect with you after this. Um, and just, I don't know. I feel like I want to help be a support system for you. I just feel like you do have so much worth and you do have so much to offer and that there will be days that you may not feel like that. And I want to remind you that you do. We all need you. Yeah. You you're doing incredible work and like, so totally not even kind of the same situation, but my husband and I tried to have a baby for a really long time. We did IVF and everything and it never worked. And I've recently started saying that there's a reason for my pain and it's to help other people. And I feel like, I feel a similar thing for you. Like you experienced what you experienced because whatever you choose to believe in, whether it be God or a higher power, higher power of the universe or whatever you choose to believe in, put that in your life because it was known that you would be able to be strong enough to use that pain to help other people, whether it's God, the universe, whatever you choose to believe in, this is your story. And this is your journey because it was known that you have the strength to survive it and endure it and to help other people come out better on the other end. And I just want you to know that, like, I just, I, I just feel like, and I, I, I cannot even begin to imagine the pain that you felt going through what you've been through. 
I'm, I, I don't believe in everything happens for a reason in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Shitty things no. happen. I don't believe it either. No, I fucking hate when people say everything happens for a reason. It doesn't have, not everything happens for a reason. Sometimes shitty fucking things just happen. Yeah. But you were given the strength and the perseverance and the will to do good, to use your pain in a positive way. And you have to believe that. Thank you. And that's, I just wanted to say that. Like it's. Thank you. (laughs) So I appreciate that. Rest that pretty little head of yours. Yes. I hope you take that. Just rest that pretty little head of yours. (laughs) I will. She's going to hear you saying that in her sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. But um, I'm here if you need anything. If you just want to have a FaceTime drink, if you want to cry, if you want to laugh, if you want to talk shit, I'm here. Thank you. So. That means a um, lot. And thank you for hearing my story. I'm, I can't wrap my brain around it. So I, I just commend you for surviving. Thank you. So, okay, Brittany, I have one final question for you before we let you go. Okay. What is the one thing that you used to apologize for in the past that you are unlikely to apologize for now? Myself. I love that. (laughs) That's all we need. Yeah. Yeah. Your story speaks volumes. And I'm, when I make the art, I'm literally going to put it in all caps, just myself. And you need to know, honestly, you need to know out of all, and, and I'm not downplaying all the other women that we've talked to, but like what you've been through, I can't, like I said, it's, it's the thing of TVs and I'm not, I've never sat down and spoke with somebody who's actually been through it. And I am, I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight, honestly. <laughs> like, oh God. <laughs> no, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I, I mean it more so in the perseverance and the strength that you have. Like I can't even begin to imagine or think that I would be able to do the same thing. Honestly, I'm not strong here. enough. I'm I just can... here and I want to help all the little kids now. I don't want them <laughs> to be me you know? Right. So I'm here. So as we, so I always do this thing, like as we are mindful of time, so we're going to be mindful of time. And I do want you to know how much I appreciate you unpacking this because this is, this is a lot. And I commend you on the strength. And I think I said that a million times tonight, (laughs) but if, I know you're very private. Uh, I mean, I know you're private on social media and you don't really share, but obviously that's how I found you. So, well, yeah. And we have history too. We have history, but if anybody is in the position and they're listening to this and they feel that they're in the same position, are there any, um, organizations or things that you can suggest or hotlines, whatever it may be that you have used in your own. I mean, you talked about a facility you went to, is there anything that you want to shout out right now? That's been a part of your healing journey. Yeah. So, um, 100% NAMI. Um, so it's NAMI.org. It's, um, national association of mental illness, I think for eating disorders. If you are suffering from an eating disorder, I would say, look up eating disorders, anonymous, um, 
because they have a lot of not only resources of treatment centers you could go to or like groups you can have or attend, um, but that also will help you uh, get in touch with people locally. NAMI does that as well if it's non-eating disorder. Um, if you are in a state that still has legal pregnancy termination procedures, and I apologize, I can't say the word yet. I completely understand. Um, reach out to those. You will get the information you need. And if you are in a state that does not offer that, many, many states in our country, the ones who do help citizens from other states get to these other places that can get them done. They will help facilitate the procedure for you. Yes. Thank you for making my words make sense. <laughs> um, so I'm really emotional right now. I, I totally get it. That's why I'm, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I okay. do just want to take the time to say thank you. And I really do hope that you understand the value and what you're offering to this world. I, I, I live for that. So I do hope it is a thing. Yeah. I believe it is world. And we have a few people that we've worked with over the last year and I would love to get you in contact with them. So yeah, my social media is pretty private, which is, um, fine. but yeah. my email um, that you have is anybody can reach me there. Right. That's we'll fine. Put that, we'll put that in the show notes. So okay. just so I'll let you go on a good note. Thank you for what you're doing. Continue to do what you are doing and you matter so much. Thank you. I needed to hear that. You are. But thank you. you. And like I said, my little black heart cried today. So it <laughs> often, um, or if at all. So you are amazing. Please Thanks rest that pretty. I'm going to like make a t-shirt and send it to you and like rest that pretty little head of yours. Because oh, I, I would wear it all the time. <laughs> thank well, you Maggie. of course thank you so much I really do truly appreciate this I know it wasn't easy for you and I hope you did find some type of closure I mean it's not a lot to offer but being able to voice it and talk about it I know I have learned to understand with a lot of women we've talked about even my own story when I shared mine it was like right. it was like wow okay I needed to say these things so it's, it's very healing it is. Um, I feel very exposed and vulnerable, but I also know that it, if it helps just one woman, just one, I'm okay with that. Right. It's invigorating yeah. to think too, because you control the narrative. It is your story. Yeah. So thank you so much. For this. Thank you for having me. Seriously. I'm, 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 I'm glad sure. you said yes. Me too. All right. <laughs> well, if you need anything, you know where to find us. All right. You have a great night. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.